0: I am Katie Rich. It's the Monday after the Oscars. You'll hear in my voice probably that I'm a little tired because it's the morning after the Oscars, uh, but I'm joined delightfully by Richard Lawson.
1: Hello. It's you know easy breezy 11 a.m. here on the East Coast, so I don't know what you're complaining about.
0: <laughs> you went to bed at a sensible hour. You're Oh, rested. no. I, no, I didn't. No. no
1: <laughs> absolutely not.
0: Uh, and join in my exhaustion, uh, Rebecca Ford. Hello. Um, it's the morning after the Oscars. This is uh, one of my most favorite podcasts we get to do all year. There's a ton to talk about. Rebecca was at the Oscars all night. I was at the our party. Richard, you were watching the ceremony at home and wrote your really uh, lovely review of the whole event as you do every year. But I think that these Oscars are gonna be the slap Oscars, kind of no matter what else we talk about or what else anyone talks about, um, which I think is something of a disservice to many of the people who won and a really interesting question for the Academy and for history. I'm sure you know listening to this that Will Smith uh, walked on stage and slapped Chris Rock in what uh, a moment that a lot of people, I think that was a bit at first until we realized it really wasn't. Um, and then he won Best Actor like 15 minutes later. Um, I think the conversation about what did happen and should have happened is maybe a little bit beyond us. And I think it's going to keep getting worked out in the days to come. Um, but Rebecca, having been in the room, can you describe the the feeling of watching something so unbelievably unscripted uh, play
2: out? Well, I think it was a lot like probably it was for viewers at home where you thought it was a bit because why else would Will Smith get out of his seat in the middle of the broadcast? And um, but it wasn't until you heard him yelling that you realized this wasn't a bit because he was swearing, obviously, which you don't do on a, broad, a scripted broadcast. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone just couldn't believe it. It was just a level of sort of shock and confusion. And then everyone I ran into from that point on just wanted to say what just happened. <laughs> because it's like your brain could not compute that something this insane happened um, on live television while you were sitting there in the room. So um, yeah, it was it was definitely and then the energy was different in that room for the rest of the night by far. Mm. It was like, you could really feel that there was like this weird tension that just continued through the end. And you know, I was up in the balcony. It's not like I was very near them. But I was the front row of the mezzanine. So I could like see all the hubbub below that sort of went on for the rest of the night.
0: Yeah, you were watching kind of a series of people walk up to his and um and Jada's spot and, and talk to them, including Will Smith's publicist and Denzel Washington. And it was kind of a, uh, a lot of consoling, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, Denzel was definitely the first one over there. And I feel like he's sort of this elder statesman that was like clearly giving Will advice and like pulled him off to the side. And then he went and sat by Jada, even as the show started back up again, because you're supposed to be back in your seat by the time the show starts. Um, but he was still sitting by Jada, like on the ground. And so... And then, you know, the next few breaks, um, Will's publicist was coming over, you know, because r- they're, they're not seated in the room. So she'd like run in for the two minutes and then run back out. Um, <laughs> but it was. Yeah. And then there were a lot of people that, you know, seemed to be coming over just to like Bradley Cooper was over there for a minute and Tiffany Haddish. Like a lot of people just seemed to be coming over to talk to them. Um, it was sort of nonstop every time there was a commercial break.
0: I think there was this really interesting contrast that was playing out last night and I think will continue playing out of people near the situation kind of having a, a sympathy and like a, a human understanding of what had happened that like, you know, I think even Will Smith would probably agree that slapping someone on the Oscars wasn't the way he wanted to spend his night, even if he might defend what he did, which he sort of did in his speech. Um, but Richard, I think watching at home and maybe even watching it on Twitter, it it felt different. It felt a little bit less sympathetic, it seems
1: yeah, I mean, there were there were certainly opinions flying from all directions, you know, and I, I think kind of like you described the, the situation in the room, Rebecca, like I just was sort of still flabbergasted by it that I didn't really and still haven't really formed a, a capital O opinion about it. Um, but yeah, I think that, look, it's no surprise that on Twitter in a sort of heated, very public moment, people are rushing to. Ascribe some bigger, higher meaning to it, or, 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 you know, connect it to other broader things, uh, happening in this country around the world in a way that felt a bit perhaps overdone. Uh, in that this was a very strange and, you know, unnerving, isolated incident, um, that just happened to be on live television. Yeah. Uh, when it could easily have happened at a party afterward or, you know, in any other context, and has for many celebrities <laughs> throughout <laughs> the history of celebrity. <laughs> Traditionally,
0: you take it outside. <laughs> you know,
1: I mean, look, you know, Courtney Love throwing a shoe at Madonna and Kurt Loder. Yes, that was also on live TV. But like, uh, you know, back then we didn't have uh, Twitter to immediately turn it into, um, you know, the social or the, a reflection of the social fabric of society as it stands now. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was really that rush to judgment that then as a home viewer, especially one who was spending a lot of time online, you couldn't really get back into the rhythm of the show uh, until you know for the for the rest of its run. Although I would argue and did in the in the review you mentioned, Katie, that there wasn't much of a rhythm even before the the, the Smith slap.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk more about the winners um, later, I think, but there is a kind of a sense that, like, whoever won an Oscar after that happened, including Jessica Chastain and even Coded for Best Picture, it's like it almost didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Questlove, maybe, being the biggest example because his award yeah. came immediately afterward and, and he took the stage and, and Will Smith shook his hand and, like, smiled at him. Um, and he gave a lovely speech and he talked about his father, but um, it just was so hard to focus after that moment.
2: I have to say, if anyone offers you the very front seat, at the stage at the Oscars ever, I think you should say no to all people <laughs> out there in the world because it almost felt like, because their seats were literally one foot away from that center stage, every, you know, that wasn't the first joke made at their expense that night. And yeah, it, it felt like it was almost like they were at a roast because your eyes just like fall on them because of where they're seated and the way they had that weird um, seating this year where it was just like they were front and center. And I yeah, I do wonder if they just felt like they were always being sort of focused on because of where they were seated. And, you know, when a comedian sees them, it's like, I don't know. I mean, we can never figure out, you know, what was really going through everyone's minds. But I do think they were sort of in this weird seating arrangement where it felt like they were all on their own right at the front. Yeah. Well, I feel like
0: we uh, talked about that with, with um, Jane Campion when she talked about the Williams sisters at the Critics' Choice Awards, that the Williams sisters are so famous and so front-centered that when you're up on that stage, you can't help but see them and want to talk about them and... um It didn't work out well for Jane Campion. It doesn't seem to have worked well here. Yeah,
1: You know, I think you could probably theorize maybe that perhaps this moment of this outburst, I guess uh, you can call it, um, began with the Regina Hall joke about Mm. sort of their open marriage or at least how they've spoken about it on Red Table Talk and other places. And, you know, it's complicated because both Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith um, have with her show and his memoir, been pretty open about their personal lives to some extent. We don't know, you know, there's probably a lot they're not sharing with the public, but that creates a really, really blurry, strange line. And clearly some line was crossed either by Rock alone or just the whole tone of the the evening's jokes pointed at them. And, you know, that's not to excuse it or to even try to explain it. Again, this is just theorizing, but it did present an interesting little image of the tensions between celebrity and the people behind that image.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, We'll jump ahead a little bit to talk about our party, um, which we'll get into more later, but Rebecca, you and I both bore witness to Will Smith's arrival at the Vanity Fair party um, with a huge group uh, of people with him, his children included. Um, They all took a big portrait in our Mark Seliger portrait studio, which you can see. Um, And he headed straight for the dance floor with his Oscar, um, where uh, DJ D-Nice was there. And he um, kind of pretty quickly put on a bunch of Will Smith songs, which he sang along to. I've never seen anything quite like it at our party. Um, Rebecca, how did you how did you witness that moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised he came, to be honest. But, you know, it's also for him his first win and and I think anyone never knows if it's ever going that opportunity is ever going to happen again to them you know for a lot of people it is once in a lifetime and so like of course he would want to celebrate with his family but it felt so surreal to see him sort of like surrounded on the dance floor and like pumping his Oscar up in the air and I was just like this we're all still talking about what happened a couple hours ago you know it's it was a very definitely surreal is the word I would use for it yeah and it
0: felt very, very um defiant in a way it was like he was taking the victory lap and like was not going to step back and you know he apologized in his speech but it felt very like claiming the moment for himself um you know like you said a record like celebrating something that may happen once in a lifetime um i mean he was the star in the room you know mm-hmm. he was like lupita nyongo came over there to congratulate him uh, he went over to talk to dj d nice for a while um it was, uh, it was a real show that he came and put on, just like singing in the middle of this big group of people. And it was, it was fascinating to watch. Definitely. One last thing before we move on to the rest of the show, we've learned this morning that the Academy is investigating the actions of what happened between Will Smith and Chris Rock. They put out a statement that said, the Academy condemns the actions of Mr. Smith at last night's show. We have officially started a formal review around the incident and will explore further action and consequences in accordance with our bylaws, standards of conduct and California law. So we don't really know what that means yet. It's pretty rare for someone to get kicked out of the Academy and really rare for someone to have their Oscars taken away. Um, So there's a lot of speculation we don't know yet, but uh, we'll be following that as that story unfolds. Um, Well, okay, there was a whole other show (laughs) aside from this. Um, Which maybe I'll kick it to you with your review, because I think, you know, you texted me halfway through the show about how you were feeling really frustrated by it. Well, I was enjoying the show for the most part, um, and we can get into the details of it, but it seemed like, despite their efforts to kind of be like, we're back, we're not in the train station this year, that there there was a grandeur missing from this year's show for you?
1: Yeah. um, I think on the one hand... There were at least maybe it was something with my Hulu live TV broadcast, which was on an annoying lag. So I was getting text messages like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, what happened? What are you talking about? And then I saw the slap happen. Oh, yeah. At
0: least you didn't um, miss it. A lot of people like, looked away. Well, I
1: pretty quickly pulled my sweatshirt over my head, and my boyfriend was like <laughs> narrating what was happening to me as I hid under my clothing. Um, <laughs> Uh, Just as I did when, when the La La Land moonlight thing (laughs) happened, I literally got off the couch, walked to the edge of a room and stood in a corner like Blair Witch (laughs) until a friend urged me back to the couch. Um, but uh, there were technical issues. I thought the audio was really echoey and, and and kind of tinny sounding, and I don't know if that was just because there was a lot of dead, non-carpeted cushion space between the this really low stage and the you know the the main auditorium seating. But that made it sound like it was in like the Spirit Awards tent rather than in this state of the art you know theater built for um, television broadcasting. I thought that the set was kind of ugly and didn't really fit the tone or mood of the Oscars, you know, that sort of grandeur. And I thought the pacing, like I said, was really choppy. And some of the cuts were odd. And the camera work was strange. And there were, you could see camera shadows passing over presenters' faces at certain times. And uh, that was kind of frustrating. And I I know that putting on a live show like this while you're doing, when you have all these COVID restrictions is Impossible. I would have no idea how to do it. So, um, you know, kudos for them to pulling off a mostly um, smooth enough show. But I thought beyond the technical stuff, there was an air of breeziness and hurriedness that doesn't really help these awards feel special, you know, and and I maybe that is just how the Academy Awards, that their, their profile is going to have to shrink some. It's not going to feel like this, you know, watched by a billion people. And here is this life defining moment for all of this talent. Uh, maybe it will just kind of be more on the level with other award shows, which are just a couple hours, three hours long, and you enjoy yourself and then kind of move on with your night or move on with your week. And to me, as a longtime Oscar fan, that felt like a disappointment. And I just felt like they were trying to make something maybe younger and sexier and flashier in a way that I don't know that the Oscars should be those things frankly so I thought that the the awards uh, were sort of swallowed up by these efforts to turn it into some the Oscars into something that I don't I don't know they've never been and and maybe can't be
0: and sometimes I wonder if we do a disservice by having you recap the Oscars from 20 years ago, right before watching this year's, because I think the tone has changed so much, you know, like the big sweeping orchestra, I think rightly or wrongly is seen as being kind of a relic of that period. But you watch that, like that sense of occasion. And then this year's like more quote unquote, modern version is always going to feel tenny compared to that.
1: Yeah, but they kept saying, you know, it's Hollywood's biggest night. And it's like, it feels like Hollywood's MTV movie awards. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it it, it just didn't. Something about it, and I, I, don't, I don't want to put that on Will Packer, the producer of it, or anybody. To I, I, me, I think this is more the meddling of of ABC, the the broadcast network, you know, just trying to urge this show into a cool direction, complete with fan voting and all that stuff. That just it 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 diminishes. I think what you know at root has always been sort of frivolous, but at least had the uh, an effective pretense of of importance. Um, and I guess if this is the direction that the network or the academy in, in cooperation with the network want to take, okay. I just think that unless there's huge, crazy things that like, like what happened last night, I, I don't know what, what impact a broadcast like this is going to have for people.
2: Rebecca, how did it feel that like on, on all that in the room? I think I went into this show knowing that like, this was not being designed for the people in the room and, and that definitely was the case. Like, I'm, I'm so curious how the, the Beyonce performance played for people at home because in the room, it was like, you know, it was the opening of the show and it was, you were watching it on a screen. It was like watching a Beyonce music video on the screen, which is very enjoyable to watch, but does not create any sort of energy for the room, you know? So it kind of started on this sort of cooler note And then a lot of the newer things didn't work, like when they revealed the fan favorite, which was just like basically listing the top five, which I, I don't know, I thought a presenter was going to at least announce it or something. So it'd be more of a reveal. Um, Like the audience didn't even clap. Like, I don't think anyone really understood what was happening then. And yeah, I think it just felt overall very, um, almost subdued because you could tell they were trying so hard to make it something it. Something else, as, as hmm. Richard was saying. So, you know, obviously when winners won, that that was exciting in the room. But but the rest of it just felt very, I don't know, disjointed and and odd for for people sitting in the room. Like, did the Beyonce performance work well on on air?
1: I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. I thought when when that started, I was like, oh, okay, this feels big and significant, mm. and um, you know, it was beautifully staged, and I thought there was a nice you know, in an odd way, a nod to like the sort of more purposeful outdoor living people have been doing the last couple of years that it was a big outdoor performance. (laughs) And uh, obviously, it had a a really huge thematic tie with the the movie that the song is from. And um, that was great. And then the minute we went into the Dolby, and that audio was echoing, and the stage was so low, I I just that from a sort of Maison Saint like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, why would you do that? The point is that we're supposed to have sh- reaction shots from the audience looking up in uh, in wonderment as these people get their trophies, and instead they were just sort of standing at floor level, almost in, in the middle of a room. It, it felt, and there was that huge, huge expanse of empty stage behind them, and everything was just in this little circle. Yeah. Um, then it felt more of, as a home viewer that we were watching a thing that was made for the people in the room and we were sort of at this odd distance except when they did these kind of janky close-ups.
2: It's so interesting because I feel like the people in the room, as I was saying about Will and Jada, but it was also... Like Denzel was in the, one of those little front pairs, and so was um, Nicole Kidman and, and Keith Urban. And I felt like they became the unofficial greeters of all people who took the stage, because every <laughs> single person who was on the stage would, like, reach down and give them a, a handshake or a high five. And I was like, God, they must be tired, because they have to say hello to every single person. Like, all the dancers who were exiting the stage would want to shake their hands. And I was like, they, they, it's, it's like, too accessible, almost. So it, <laughs> it was a really odd design in general. I I don't, I don't know if anyone in the room felt it was, it was made with them in mind either.
0: (laughs) I was happy with the cafe table setup thing though. Like I liked that, you know, I I was thinking about last year when Daniel Kaluuya and Glenn Close were sitting together at that table and seemed to be having like a great time. Like you, it's got the potential for, for pairings there that are interesting to watch, but kind of looking back at the broadcast, I don't think that's really how it panned out. I also felt like I noticed the seat fillers a lot more, Um, but maybe I was just primed to see it. I noticed
1: fewer cuts to the audience, you know, for the reaction shots that I will rely on heavily in 20 years for gifting purposes. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think I I would guess that the cabaret seating was for COVID reasons, kind of. But it also it just it it also, I think, created even more of a hierarchical difference in, in terms of the audience than having, you know, Jack and Meryl and everybody in the front row in years past. Because at least in those years, like everyone is sitting in the same semi-uncomfortable auditorium chairs, you know. Yeah. But this was like, no, no, we have, um, you know, all of you hoi polloi in the back and then we have the sort of Friars Club up here, you know, and people are tromping through their living room on their way to this, the stage. It, it was an odd mix. It was like, if you're going to do the cabaret thing like they did last year, like the space needs to be a lot more intimate rather than this just strange kind of open room plopped down at the front of a traditional theatre.
0: I did think they were off to a good start with the monologues, with the you know the three hosts coming out together, and then Amy Schumer. Like those, I think Rebecca, you were telling me that they got a lot of good reaction mm-hmm. in the room. Like I was laughing watching it myself. Like that felt like a really strong start, like a kind of old school start. And you know how much to have the hosts present, I think, is a as a question for debate. But that felt like a really good use of them.
2: Yeah, the Amy Amy's solo monologue, especially, I thought played really well, and I was like, oh, this is going great. Like this will feel. You know, it. I think it. It reminds you of those hosts from before who would who would do those very Hollywood monologues that kind of poke fun at themselves, but aren't super, super mean. And um, I thought it went really well for sure. I think that was a highlight. Yeah. Yeah, and then then later they go and do like
0: a weird knock at the last duel in the middle of the audience, and it's mm-hmm. like, hang on a second, the 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 thread has slipped somehow.
1: Yeah, I think I I saw a lot of people. On Twitter, not that, you know, they're representative of the broader audience, but, like, who were sort of with Schumer and then really not with her, and a lot of people who didn't seem to understand that her bit with Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst was planned. <laughs> um, it had to have been. Of because course, he, like, yeah. had lines and she put the mic in his face, you know. I don't think that, like, she would just, you know, treat Kirsten Dunst disrespectfully for the hell of it, but... I think that the opening Schumer monologue was fun and felt more like old school, you know, how that works. But then we also had the three of them before that. And then when Schumer came out to do her solo bit, she was like, I'm back, I'm back on stage. And it was like, she was kind of acknowledging that this structure was a little strange. That said, I thought that Hall and Sykes both had great moments themselves and you know, Regina Hall is great on stage in a room, like it made me really want to see her in a play. Um, and then I thought the mm. pre-taped bit with Sykes at the Academy Museum, which yes was promo, but that's fine. Um, Katie, you can attest, I guess you just recently went to the Academy mm. Museum, is worth the promo. Um, that but room I thought that Oscars whole thing does
0: look like Meryl Streep's house. It's great. Yeah. I've been yeah. there.
1: I thought that was clever and it felt like familiar and it was well produced and um, it was a kind of a shame to go from those moments back into the the awkward stutter of everything else, including Rebecca, you mentioned that there weren't present giving out the or announcing the the audience or the, the fan favorite mm-hmm. things. I also thought there was a shocking lack of presenters overall. The the Each best picture was introduced just as like a little sizzle reel playing kind of before or after a commercial. And it felt really, you know, and like an afterthought. And I thought they could have upped the star quote, quotient by just having more people on stage announcing things. And that was foregone for some reason. I don't know why.
2: That's interesting because I was glad that there weren't presenters presenting each of those 10... Pictures. Maybe it's just because I've been to like, I don't know, five or six award shows in the past <laughs> few weeks. And they, you know, most of them have done that. And I'm like, do I really need like, I love Kirsten Dunst, but do I have to see her present Power of the Dogs clips again? You know, but mm. um, so to me, I, I, that didn't bother me. But it might also be the difference between being in the room versus watching at home. It may have bothered me more.
0: I really could not believe the extent to which those fan favorite uh, and sure moment things felt like afterthoughts. It was really wild and i think you know in the room nobody knew what to do and then at home it was like wait is that the thing that we've been talking about for weeks like that's how Zack snyder's army of the dead winds up on this broadcast it just made i couldn't figure out why they did it in the first place like they got people to engage with it but the
2: presence in the broadcast was nothing it's just a hundred percent hoping those people who voted are watching like yeah it just there's no no extra effort in the show it's just like i hope they tune in for our ratings yeah it It just felt so obviously a a ratings play.
1: And you'd have to imagine that maybe if Spider-Man had won the thing that that Army of the Dead instead won, uh, that they would have done something more for it. But, you know, I don't know that like a zombie movie that came out on Netflix months and months and months ago uh, would have created the same kind of stage moment that um, a recent huge hit like Spider-Man would have. Yeah. And so it just felt like they probably had the plan, like, we'll do something with this if it works out in our favor. But then Mm -hmm. it didn't. And they were like, well, we just still have to we'll just play it like before commercial. It's fine.
0: I was praising the broadcast early on, um, aside from the fan favorite thing. But it felt unhurried in a way that Oscar ceremonies have not been in a long time. Like they were letting speeches uh, take their time a little bit more. The Oscar the uh, hosts uh, had more jokes. They had, you know, a tribute to Bond movies, which, you know, like you can. uh, I love montages. Some people don't. but of course, it all came at the expense of that first hour and the uh, the eight winners who were in those other categories. Um, and then after all of that, the broadcast wound up being 20 minutes longer than um, last year's, um, possibly because, you know, things went a little bit off the rails there. Um, for a while, I was wondering if they were going to make the case that it was worth it to do that. But I think it really, really wasn't. Um, Richard, watching the whole thing, watching those um, pre-taped acceptance speeches cut in, did you feel kind of the, the clanging dissonance there?
1: Hundred percent, especially because they kept the live thing on the screen, and it was like, I know this isn't live. This we mm-hmm. already know what, who won this, you know. And then to have like Brolin and Momoa, their presenter bit was broadcast, but then other ones weren't, and so it, and I don't think anyone after that was. It just felt really strange because they also they showed a decent amount of the speeches. So it was like, so, so you kind of did half cut it, but like, yeah. I just was like, commit to it or, or don't do it at all. You know, like you do what the Tony said, which is like previously this happened, but, but they kind of treated it like actual categories during the live broadcast. And yeah, it was, it was really odd. And then in terms of the speeches, I think that, uh, yeah, obviously they let some people go long, but like that, the Travis Barker, Sheila E band, like loudly started drumming Hamaguchi off stage thinking he was done. And then he was like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, actually, no, no, I have more to say. Like, that was really awkward. And then that didn't happen again, because they switched over to an orchestra for the third hour for some reason. was so weird. Everything just felt like, I don't know if this was all done on the fly. They were like, we can't have that loud drum, like playing people off again. Let's switch it up. Or I, I don't know how much was planned or how much was improvised in the moment. But everything felt so scattershot and and kind of messy, I guess.
2: You know, I was still on the carpet for the Golden Hour pre-live show. I don't know what we're calling this anymore. Um, But for those who were sitting in the room through it, which to me at least felt like most of the big stars did make it in um, for that. Like, I remember... Um, Riz Ahmed was like running, rushing down the carpet right at like three fifty-five, and and I heard him say like, "We have to get in there. They're starting They're starting." He won and, an he won an Oscar. worth it. Kind of, yeah, it was smart. And and even Will and and Jada, you know, were one of the last to hit the carpet, but they were running in there by four o'clock. So it felt like people did intentionally get there to be present for that. But all those people had to then watch them again during the show as as the speeches were played into the show which of course it's important they were, but again, for the audience experience, it just like took any of the sort of momentum out of the room that had been created. So it, it was, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know who that ended up benefiting. Like it's sad for the winners. It was uncomfortable for the people in the room to go through it. And then it was also, you know, not, it wasn't great to watch from home. So I, I hope they'll rethink it for next year
0: the the frustration of um you know i i was on the phone or texting with anthony brezcan who was in the room um kind of telling me about who the winners were and that that was how i learned that dune had won what five of its oscars just being like okay here we go it's visual effects or no visual effects was on the broadcast sound um it was awful it was just such a terrible way to treat the momentousness of this occasion and you know richard i don't know that i totally agree with you that the way that the show works now takes the momentousness out of the occasion, but that absolutely did. That was just such a like afterthought way to award these, you know, achievements.
1: Well, you think about how the Fury Road crew looms so large throughout that broadcast and because they were winning all these technical prizes and, and it really did feel by the end of that evening, like even though Mad Max didn't win best picture, George Miller didn't win director, that it had real presence there. And Dune would have felt like that too, had most of their awards not happened during that that golden hour or whatever it was called. And I think, you know, I'm I'm sure if I was Villeneuve or, or uh, Warner Brothers, I would be kind of bummed about that. Or if I was the people who won, you know, I just think that like the, the, the broadcast as it was made it seem like there were about three movies in this conversation instead of, you know,
0: 50 something. Well, and it was interesting watching Power of the Dog lose over and over again we all predicted dune to do really well it did really really well in all of those categories and it kind of felt like by the time the oscar broadcast began it was like okay well the of thing's happening um and it was a momentum shift that like you're saying with mad max richard like we would have felt happen in the room but it was like in this like neither real nor not real uh, zone when the show started
1: yeah uh the power of the dog thing was interesting i mean that was one win right for, yeah, for twelve nominations. I mean, a it's big the win. The first
0: movie since *The Graduate* to win only Best Director.
1: Yeah, uh, that was that was interesting, and and you know, I, I guess maybe the writing was on the wall for that in some ways before the broadcast. But like, yeah, you're right. It did feel like I, I just I missed the kind of the rhythms of old, which would be like really tracking over guess, four hours maybe how each thing is playing and and, and maybe in, in your head, shifting predictions as you go. But in this case, it was like, I just opened my eyes and I was standing in the middle of this weird futuristic living room and Dune already had five Oscars. And I was like, what, or <laughs> you know, it just was so disorienting uh, that I, I, and also I was live blogging and writing my review. So it, I, maybe I wasn't paying the best attention, but um, I just had a real problem getting into the flow of it um, as much as there was even a flow at all.
0: Rebecca, what do you make of the extent to which uh, Power of the Dog lost its momentum. I mean, we've talked about it plenty and we talked about the Code of Surge, but watching it just lose award after award after award felt like a really shocking reversal.
2: Yeah, I mean, we all knew that Jane had director locked, I think, but I remember when we were doing predictions, I felt like Dune was just going to pull so many of those um, below the line categories that I wasn't that surprised by Sunday. But, you know, I feel like, Netflix did run a great campaign for that film. And, you know, when we first saw it, I didn't know many months ago. I didn't know if it was going to be able to sort of make that run because of, you know, the type of film it is. And 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 so I think they did everything they could. And it's just, I don't know, there's just a lot of competition and a lot of momentum for other films. So next it was year. A really, <laughs> um,
0: it was a really terrible night for Netflix. They. Yeah only won that award for Jane Campion. Um, and we talked about how they're, they've been dominant in the shorts category so many times. Um, Apple has now beaten them to the Best Picture Oscar, which is crazy. <laughs> like, they only started releasing films two years ago. Um, I don't know what they learned from this or what they change modes from this, but the, you know, Netflix being Charlie Brown with the football, it just keeps happening. Like, that is the narrative at this point.
1: It's It's interesting that they now that Netflix now has two best director Oscars um by my count, yeah. right? It's Coran and, and Campion. Because there you could, if you want to get real tinfoil or bad about it or whatever, like you could really see the Academy being like, we respect that Jane Campion and Alfonso Coran got to make their grand visions uh with the largesse of this streaming service, but we're not really going to give it much else. You know, I mean, Roma won a lot, but like it, it just, th- there's something like they're honoring the director who got their project made in the way that they, you know, how they could with the, the amount of money that they needed or wanted. Um, but they're certainly in, in terms of best picture, less willing thus far to give that award to the producers, to Netflix, for them to put in a case in their offices. You know, um, there's a distinction there. Um, and I wonder if that, is part of the thinking in the voting, or maybe it's just kind of more arbitrary than that.
0: I mean, so much of the Oscar ecosystem right now is propped up by companies that make a ton, a ton of money off of other things, uh, you know, that are not using um, Oscar uh tended movies as the thing that makes their companies function you know you got Apple and Amazon and Netflix and the thing that I always just worry about is that they're gonna be like well fuck it like we're not gonna keep trying to do this and spend you know throw money at the Jane Campions of the world um I don't know if that would happen now you know that it would it takes a few years for that kind of ship to turn around but it, it makes me nervous um even though maybe I shouldn't worry so much about the whims of like a single executive who might just give up on the quest
1: There's also maybe an important distinction to draw in terms of, you know, Apple beating Netflix to best picture. Apple did that with an acquisition. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't they didn't shepherd CODA into being. Um, That was largely a a French production, from my understanding. Yeah. and, you know, Netflix, you know, with Campion and Quran and other, and, you know, Marriage Story, and other things like that, they are there from the beginning. And, and maybe Netflix will perhaps think a little bit more about how they treat their acquisitions, which famously has not been that good. Um, you know, they tend to buy things at festivals, and then they just kind of get buried in the, in the, the pile. Yeah, I mean, service. Netflix
0: acquires passing at, at the same Sundance where Apple gets Coda and you see those two different yeah. trajectories.
1: So I don't know. So then uh, on, the, on the other side of that token, like it would be interesting to see what Apple does when they do shepherd something from the ground up, like they're doing with Scorsese, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, for anyone who doesn't know that Killers of the Flower Moon is coming next year, like that is the 800. 800- that's that's kind of the Netflix style. Here comes this large prestige auteur picture um, that's coming for this next year. I can't. I mean, there's probably another one. We'll we'll do that episode in a couple weeks, which I read, so (laughs) tune in. Um, And Jesse Plemons is at it because that guy can't not be in a Best Picture nominee in a given year.
2: I'm so curious to see what happens with Sundance the next time it comes around because this was the first Sundance film to win Best Picture, I think. I think that's right. Yeah, I believe so. And, and and you remember when Apple bought this for like twenty five million? Everyone was like, "That's kind of insane." And and here they are walking away with their first um, Oscars. So, although they almost certainly have not made their money back, no, they definitely haven't. But I think that you know that it's win is it. invaluable. So, yeah, um, I am curious if this sort of I mean, Coda broke a lot of the sort of traditional rules of of winning Best Picture, and I do wonder if if we'll see you know um, more aggressive buying at the next Sundance because they've proved it can be done
0: yeah it's almost hard to think about like what Coda's best picture win means because again that part of the evening felt so overshadowed but you know I we already had a listener kind of writing in like is it going to feel like Crash and Green Book is this kind of like heart string tugging movie that wins without winning director um I hope Coda's reputation is better than that I think it's a better movie than that um I don't know, is it just going to fall into the, like, into the mist of time and in five years it'd be like, oh yeah, CODA. Like, what's its reputation going to be?
2: I really hate that people pair this movie with Green Book. It just, it just not does not make sense to me. The, those are two very different journeys, in in my opinion, for the way of, of inclusive filmmaking, especially. So I sort of hated the CODA backlash and I feel like this movie starred deaf actors and introduced a lot of Hollywood to a culture they may not have known a lot about and has powerful performances. And, you know, I I hope it doesn't have that sort of reputation in a few years. I mean, I understand it's a smaller film, but it's still a special one, in my opinion. I
1: mean, I think it'll be uh, remembered as helping to open a door in a way, you know, Marley Matlin won for a Children of a Lesser God, you know, many years ago, um, that did not lead to uh, any sort of boom in, in including the deaf community in in Hollywood. But I think this will this this is, has a different impact. The Best Picture thing is, you know, and it has an acting trophy, it has a screenplay trophy. Like, uh, yeah, I I think it'll have that significant impact. Whether the move, the text of the movie itself will endure. Maybe not as much, but like, how, can we really say that about a lot of Best Picture winners, honestly? You know, yeah. like, we we mentioned the 2002 recap, like, I know you, the three of us are talking about A Beautiful Mind all the time, but like, is anyone else? <laughs> um I, I, not to compare those two movies, but like uh yeah, I, I think that I think the Coda will is not gonna be a sort of blemish at all on the Academy's record in the way some people are suggesting it will. Uh, you know, I think that's that's silly. Plenty of uplifting you know, sort of issue movies have, have won Best Picture before and, and and that's fine. You know, this is as I say a million times, this is all made up. There is no rule for what should get best picture, you know, it is not an objective thing. So yeah, I just do feel, you know, it's sad that not only was the moment diminished because of what had happened a few, you know, 30 minutes prior, but also because, again, the stage, the set just didn't really rise to meet literally (laughs) the the majesty of the occasion.
2: Someone, as I was looking at Twitter after Slapgate last night, someone tweeted like something about how the two best picture Front runners, you know were both directed by women and there, I feel like there's just a lot of moments I haven't been able to sort of take in and appreciate just because the only thing anyone's been talking about for the last I don't know however many hours it's been <laughs> since the Oscars has been yeah. the slap but uh, yeah I do think there are things we'll look back on and and say that was that was a pretty significant moment.
1: Ariana, Ariana DeBose you know winning mm-hmm. uh, supporting actress and um I don't know exactly about Linda Hunt's level of outness when she won for Year of Living Dangerously, but I believe if if we don't count Linda Hunt that Ariana DeBose is the first out queer actor to win an Oscar who's out at the time that she wins it or mm-hmm. they win it, which is, feels significant in a way. And she
0: seems like the, I think she's the first acting winner to thank her, you know, same-sex partner in, her, in an Oscar speech at the very least.
1: Yeah, at the very least there's that, um, which, you know, that is a milestone and, it, and it's not just a milestone in terms of you know, that sort of social significance, but it's for a great performance. And, you know, in a movie that a lot of people like, and I actually read some really interesting criticisms against West Side Story in in the lead up to the Oscars. So I've sort of, you know, thinking about that, um, as I talk about the movie, but her performance, I think, is unimpeachable. And so that was a significant moment, yes, that I hope that will endure uh, longer than this right now, this chatter of, of gossip about something that was at the show, but wasn't necessarily what the show is about.
0: Should we talk about Jessica Chastain winning, after all, After all of our speculation about this? <laughs> yeah. um, I, and David Canfield, is, he'll be back with us soon. Uh, he had a really wonderfully well-thought-out theory on Penelope Cruz that I think really took on a life of its own. Uh, I kept hearing about seeing people tweeting in, Rebecca, you're going to events where everyone's like, Penelope Cruz, she's going to mm-hmm. surge and get it. Um, but it was uh, Jessica Chastain for a movie that I i don't know if it's going to be the most beloved of her career, um, as has been the track record for a lot of Best Actress wins, I think, lately, but... Um, Good for her. I felt I felt happy for her watching it happen.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I saw her um, as I was spending 40 minutes trying to get out of the parking garage after the Oscars. Um, I saw her on on the back of a golf cart going through the parking lot with her Oscar. And she just looked so genuinely happy. And I I don't know, I I thought it was a nice moment and it felt special for her, even as you're saying it, it maybe isn't just an award for this film for her.
1: Yeah, it, you know, we, we talked about it when we were kind of doing the prediction stuff, but, you know, the fact that she's had these rights for uh, a decade, and this is such a labor of love, and that that has a significance, especially as a lot of people in the industry, especially uh, women, uh, you know, actors are, are turning to producing their own stuff to basically create material for themselves, you know, and um, and this win is a huge testament to that effort. And um, so it feels significant in that way. And then she gave a nice speech where she, you know, thanked people specifically involved in the movie and then evoked, you know, a bigger things that, at least in her mind, like the that Eyes of Tammy Faye is in thematic dialogue with. And yeah, it was, that was like a classic, you know, sort of, Oscar's acceptance speech moment—that um, uh, I did feel maybe a little bit she was—and I think you know to her credit in some ways, like trying to retrain the gaze of the evening <laughs> to mm-hmm. to the films and and to the the sort of uplift of the occasion, um, which you know that's a consummate uh, show person that she you know had the the sort of wherewithal to to try to do that uh, that late in the in the game.
0: Meanwhile, didn't it feel like Jane Campion was just trying to get out of her speech with no no damage whatsoever? Like, she came prepared with a piece of paper. She didn't make jokes. She got in there and out of there, um, and which is fine after, you know, the mess she got herself in last time. But um, I don't know. It felt like a little bit less of a moment than maybe I wanted it to be.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about that. Like, we've always sort of enjoyed her speeches because she is... A little uh out there with them but they do feel genuine and, and the minute i saw that paper and I, her hand i was like oh she's gonna she's gonna stay on script for this one but it's yeah yeah it's still a, and it was a special moment to see her win i think
0: Oh, Rebecca, should we talk about the party? Yeah. Um, well, you were at the Governor's Awards as well, so maybe you can, if there are any dispatches from that. Um, but the Vanity Fair Oscar Party um, was really big and back in full swing this year. Um, so, I mean, you were—you said you were stuck in a parking lot for 40 minutes, Rebecca. But then yeah. um, how, how was your first VF party experience from there?
2: Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I didn't get there till 11.00 something but you know I've heard about that party for years and and obviously I couldn't go when I was with a different outlet and it it really is just like everywhere you turn there's a star or someone holding an Oscar and and it feels like people have sort of let down their guard because there's not like a ton of press inside and they're just like enjoying the moment late into the night and you see a lot of really random but cool interactions and yeah it lived up to the hype for me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we talked about the Will Smith Dance Party, which I think was a pretty
0: like standout moment. But I really had forgotten if you if you're there and kind of the thick of when people are there at the party, you're looking everywhere you look, you're just going to be like, it, it doesn't take you long to clock who you're looking at, you know, seeing famous people in person can sometimes feel like, oh, wait a second, who am I looking at? But it is just wall to wall. Notable faces, Um, Richard. Have you have you looked at anything from the party from our um, from our reporting that intrigued you?
1: You know, it's funny, Katie. uh, You and I were texting a couple days ago, and then I was also texting with our colleague Julie Miller. And I was kind of proud of myself because I was like, I'm glad they're going to the party. I think it's going to be really fun. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm not there, you know? And then last night and this morning, looking at photos, I started to get really envious. (laughs) You're like
0: these (laughs) assholes. God damn it.
1: Um, But no, it looks like it was a great turnout. I I thought there was some great um, in Julie's kind of write up of the event, like some great behind the scenes things, you know, people talking about the Will Smith thing talking about other things. Like I, I think that that party is so fun because, you know, in my situation, I'm just a fly on the wall. I'm not really interacting with people. I'm just sort of observing and just taking it all in. And there's so much to do in that regard, you know. Um, and uh, But not in, a, not in a voyeuristic way. It's more just like people are all there and happy to be there. And and, and um, even no matter what had happened at the show previous, like the party can feel like its own occasion, which I think is a testament to all the very hard work that many, many people do uh, in, in the lead up to it every year.
0: Yeah, Julie's party report, basically her job is to walk around the party and just see which unexpected people are talking to each other. Um, and so she catches things I never do, like Rita Ora talking to Al Pacino mm. or Sienna Miller walking up to Isla Fisher and saying, you dirty bitch, which I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wish
1: I could Cigarette in seen. hand, I believe. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Exactly. Um, I think my best one was uh, Catherine O'Hara talking to Bill Murray, and she was just like smiling up at him, just like with this glorious, lovely look on her face. Um, and I wish I could have like hovered around longer to hear what they were talking about. Also, I walked in behind Sofia Coppola escorting Francis Ford Coppola into the party, which is not an unexpected pairing, but just felt like a real iconic one.
1: I feel like there are two distinct kinds of... uh post-ish omicron social release one is where you sort of blurt out into the world and act a little wild um and the other is you're just so that much more excited to be around people that you haven't seen or to be meeting new people or to to like give a hug to a, a colleague who you know you haven't had an in-person interaction with in a long time and and from everything I've gleaned from the extensive reporting done about our party the mood was predominantly the latter you know it was just like a, a really celebratory thing about the what had just happened but also about like, hey, here we all are. And um, it's, you know, if nothing else, it's great that we were able to provide that occasion for so many people.
0: Yeah, Rebecca, you've talked to so many people over the past few weeks of the awards circuit and you caught up with some of them. And do they seem noticeably more relieved (laughs) to have it all be over with and be at our party?
2: Yeah, I I definitely think that's true. And it's funny because even earlier in the day at the carpet, it, it felt like people were so excited that this was actually happening in a sort of, almost normal way post covid surge because a couple months ago i don't think any of us were sure that the oscars or our party was going to happen in the way it ended up happening and a lot of people were like this feels almost normal and and i think had really been craving that experience but yes i think by the time our party hit you know i talked to a couple directors and a couple other nominees and and they just seemed so happy. And, and I kept asking people if they were going on vacations because that's what I'm planning on doing. And, and like Denis was like, no, I've got to go shoot Dune 2. <laughs> like like people are just <laughs> going back to work. But um, yeah, and I think ready to at this point after this long season.
1: But you're going on vacation to Arrakis, right? So like, <laughs> you're kind of going to have the same trip. Yes,
2: just hanging out with sandworms is my, you know, priority.
0: Yeah. I was telling you guys before we started recording that I ended the night talking to um members of the, the sound and the visual effects teams from Dune who were just like so lovely. I know we've said this before that the a lot of the technical category winners are the most fun people to talk to at the party because and literally they said to me, like, Yeah, we're just we're just people. You can hold our Oscars. And I'm like, Yeah, but like they are Oscars. Like, don't let some rando like me take, hold them. But they did and they were very nice about it. Um, and they were like, Yeah, we're gonna go work together and do too. We had a great time. Like, what what better motivation to go work on a sequel than to come back with a boatload
2: <laughs> of Oscars?
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> let's
2: win <laughs> somewhere in a couple years.
1: I thought the In Memoriam uh, was actually kind of a great innovation of, you know, of a maybe hoary Oscar tradition. You know, they've done it in different ways. Sometimes it's just a full, just a plazo meter thing. Oftentimes there's a live performer. Queen Latifah singing I'll Remember You is a highlight. Eddie Vedder singing the Tom Petty song, uh, A Room at the Top. Um, and, you know, yes, the way that it was filmed for the the television broadcast maybe was a little distracting because the names were on a screen behind this gospel choir and so maybe all attention wasn't paid to those people and then there were the celebrities coming out offering little eulogies for certain people. But I thought somewhere in that jumble there was something really successful and what I really liked most about it was this gospel choir that Um, There was a mournful quality to some of the segment, but also a joyfulness and a celebration of these lives, rather than this kind of um, more somber thing of years past. And I I thought that was a fun approach to a necessity of every Oscar broadcast. And it kept, you know, some energy up um, in a way that I thought was still reverent and, uh, yeah, respectful, even though I think disrespectful was the, the kind of word I saw most associated online with that whole bit.
0: I always regret that I can't focus more on what's happening because I'm like, especially last night, you know, I was trying to, you know, marshal reactions to the Will Smith moment. Um, and when I went to the Academy Museum last week with our colleague Hillary Buses, they were showing clips from um, Oscar speeches in one room and they showed... Um, I think, Ruth Carter's speech, and then two, like, Chloe Jaws from last year, and I was like, I don't remember these at all, because I was just typing through them. Like, I, I don't get to focus. It takes years for it to kind of settle in. Um, which I guess is what happens with every Oscar ceremony. Again, Richard, when you do the 20 years later recap, I feel like when the oscars are happening we're kind of figuring out what it means and only in hindsight do the clear narratives really emerge we have to wait we have to wait a while to figure out what this all means
1: yeah it it was funny last night so i i filed my very negative review of the show kind of a despondent review of the show and then was still a little rattled and so was puttering around the house. And then what, what did I find myself doing 30 minutes later? Watching the, some of the acceptance speeches on YouTube again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to like better absorb them. Um, and they played a little bit better in that in that uh, context, frankly.
2: I feel like I almost always do that the next day because all of us, I think, and a lot of people who watch the show, your, your mind is in a million different places. So it's nice to sit with them for a little bit.
1: The other day, um, I think Chris Tapley, he put out a, a Twitter thread uh, with video of um, a video compilation of every best picture presentation, like the, the presenter opening the envelope and reading the name. And so, you know, that toward the very end, you're going to get to Jane Fonda saying Parasite. And yeah. I watched it the other day and like, kind of burst into tears. because uh-huh. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> It's just such a cool moment that Fonda nails. And I thought, you know, last night. I liked Kevin Costner's dramatic pause before reading Campion's name. I thought, and then she kind of remarked on that. So there, there were some theatrics that um, I think I will appreciate uh, in the time to come as these Oscars settle
0: a bit in my memory. Oh, we didn't even talk about Liza Minnelli and Lady Gaga. What a, oh, yeah. what a lovely pair! I mean, Lady, Ga- like, Lady Gaga famously collaborates with Tony Bennett, and she has this like bridge to an older generation quality that like anybody would have seen coming ten years ago. But she was so good, and I was so happy to see Liza Minnelli there. I'm not sure how her health is, but I was delighted to see her.
1: And okay, Coda was so good too. Like I mean, because it was just <laughs> sort just of like it. it wasn't like disrespectful. <laughs> it was just like a sort of like all right, here we go. Like I just I thought that was. A really nice, you know, warming uh, way to close the show out, and uh, and and give it that sense of old school kind of theatricality and and uh, flamboyance, I suppose.
0: Eliza's seen so much in her life; she's not going to get worked up about your best picture win. This is this is nothing. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Also, <laughs> Richard wasn't it the, the two thousand two Oscars where they were just joking about her wedding, like nonstop.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's <laughs> you know she's she's been long been part of the Oscar narrative.
0: Well, I think that is for now a wrap on the uh, 94th Academy Awards. I'm sure we'll be wind up talking about it later. But um, first, as a reminder, we're moving to our two episodes a week format this week. So um, come back on Thursday, our usual day, to hear an interview. And then starting next week, we'll be back on a more routine schedule of Tuesday interviews and Thursday shows. And coming up next will be our 2023 Oscar predictions I always feel like I'm ready for those at this point, and then I get very overwhelmed. And I don't know where I'm going to land on this. Um, but it's coming. Um, Richard and Becky, you guys ready for a break, and then we'll look toward the future? Does that feel good?
1: I'm ready now, to be honest.
0: <laughs> okay. to be honest. Okay. At
1: this point, I'm just so tired of talking about these movies that I'm more than eager to uh, to start with some new ones next week.
0: Yeah, bring it on. I can tell you... I- I can tell you something that doesn't reflect well on me. I was walking through our party uh, later in the night with uh, our colleague Hillary Bustis and I saw uh, Jesse Plemons kind of trailing behind Benedict Cumberbatch. And I was like, "Have they been in something together before?" And then I was like, <laughs> "Oh no, <laughs> oh no!" <laughs> I heard the talk. And it then you introduced to...
1: Kirsten to Jesse, and you were like, <laughs> "Yes, exactly." Like, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was time to go to bed at that moment. Um, okay, well, go to VanityFair.com to read so much coverage. Well, um, you know, there's everything we talked about—the portraits from the party, the. Um, Seliger Studio Richard's recap Rebecca's reports from the uh, from the show we'll have a What You Didn't See on TV roundup with even more things that um, that everybody saw in person and thank you for being with us on this journey and for all of the feedback you've given us this um, this point of the year always feels like we're the ones giving acceptance speeches um, and we're grateful to all of you for listening um, you can find us on Twitter at Little Goldman and on our own I am at Katie Rich and Richard Rylaz and Rebecca Becca M. Ford And uh, sign up to text with us at Subtext, as some of you did after last night's Oscars. Go to joinsubtext.com slash littlegoldmen or text 213-513-4203. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best post-Oscar hangover cure goes to Rebecca Ford.
2: Just hanging out with sandworms.